I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. and my sad heart is yearning to hear again the songbird sweet melodious tone meet me in the moonlight alone the dusky light the day is losing orchids poppies black-eyed susan the earth and sky that melts with flesh and bone meet me in the moonlight alone this is pod dylan the show that celebrates the work of bob dylan one song at a time proud member of the fire and water podcast network and joining me this week to talk about Moonlight from 2001's Love and Theft is fellow Bobcat Nick Travellini. Hi, Nick. Hey, how's it going? It's doing great. I'm uh, happy to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, we said we're here to talk about Moonlight, but of course, this is your first time on the show. So, I got to ask you the standard question How did you become a fan? Sure. So, I started listening to Bob sporadically in my youth. My dad is a big classic rock guy. Um, and so I knew a bunch of his stuff from the mid to late sixties, uh, like Rolling Stone, uh, Desolation Row, you know, some of the, the classics. Sure. Um, but I really didn't become a serious fan until probably like the 2014, 2015 era when, uh, actually just ironically, I started listening to his Christmas album, uh, in Christmas time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> not a lot of converts uh, from that record. I love that record, yeah. but not a lot of converts. From <laughs> you know, you get Bob Dylan singing, uh, Singing Little Town in Bethlehem, and it, it pulls on the heartstrings. And um, I, I, was, I unironically love that record. I really yeah, do. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is actually a, a hidden gem. And I just started listening to some of his other work. Started get, getting back into the classic stuff, uh, and then discovered his stuff like uh, Time Out of Mind and Beyond. Um, and that really got me into it. Uh, and then he won the Nobel Prize, and I just dug in and really, really dedicated myself to, to trying to understand his work uh, in, a, in a more serious way. So that's, that's what turned me on to, to Bob Dylan. What, uh, what were some of your favorite records as you were you know, going through the, uh, the back catalog? Sure. I mean, Love and Theft, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. we're here to talk about Moonlight tonight, uh, today. I also got to say Nashville Skyline is mm-hmm. a personal favorite. And then um, uh, World Gone Wrong. That's okay. It. Yeah, his classic folk stuff. I've been a big fan of folk music, uh, and you know Bob was circulating through that. Um, but really, finding those uh, cover albums was was really a great pleasure of mine. So, have you had a chance to see him live? I have. So, I went to UC Berkeley for for school for college, uh, and he performed there uh, while I was in school at the Greek Theater. Uh, I didn't actually attend the concert, but I was in the marching band, and our practice field was right next to the, <laughs> to the Greek Theater. Um, so I got to hear him warm up and do sound checks and stuff like that. Oh, that's so that was cool. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty cool. And then I saw him last year. He performed at Stanford at the theater down there. So I, I'm in Oakland, California, and so I made the trip down roughly around the time of my birthday to go to go see him. Oh, that's nice. What? How was? I mean, I know that tour was. I, I saw one of those shows too. That tour was great. But what did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. He played a really, really great version of uh, "Not Dark Yet." 
which was good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and he pulled out Lenny Bruce, which I was not expecting. Um, but I was really glad, uh, that he did that. And then his encore, uh, Ballad of a Thin Man was just fantastic. Yeah. It was everything that I could have hoped for at a, at a Bob Bob concert. That's great that you got to see him just before everything went, (laughs) everything went pear shaped and you know, who knows how long it's going to be, but, but that's great. That's great. You got a chance to, and, and to see, you know, him in a particularly kind of upward swing of his touring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So I got to ask, I, I love to ask this from people. Who did you go with? Did you go with other Die in the, Hot, Die in the Wool Dylan fans or were these people that were just kind of going with you or what, how did that, what was the context? I just went myself. I bought myself as got a birthday it. present, uh, bought myself a ticket to go see him. So ah. I just went by myself. I met <laughs> some folks there uh, who ended up, I think, took the train back, you know, for as long as it went, um, as long as our paths crossed. But it was, I just went on my own. I, that's funny you, you mentioned that. That's happened to me a couple times. I've been to a couple of Dylan shows by myself, and I always end up talking to somebody. And I'm generally kind of a shy person, despite contra this show. I'm a pretty shy person, uh, and I don't really talk to strangers or feel comfortable or whatever. But I have virtually every time I've seen a Dylan show by myself, I find myself chatting with people in the audience or in somewhere around. But there's something about Bob fans. They just, I think they're just generally kind of a friendly bunch. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think they, you know, that just tends to happen, which I think is really a very nice thing. Yeah. I mean, he attracts so many different people and has That's so many true. different styles and genres that he's played in that you kind of have to be open to variety and to trying out different things if you're going to be a Bob fan. So that probably <laughs> has something to do with the, the sort of folks that show up to his shows. I'm sure that is true. So, all right. So uh, that's fantastic. So, you know, let's talk about Moonlight, uh, the very lovely lilting Moonlight, uh, which is, again, it's on uh, 2001's Love and Theft. I I quoted a couple of the opening verses here, and uh, we're going to get into it a little in that if you go to BobDylan.com, you will notice that some of the verses on that website don't match the version that you hear on the record. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says that the third verse is the air is thick and heavy all along the levee where the geese into the countryside have flown. Won't you meet me in the moonlight? By the way, and the, he sings won't you, and here in the, the official lyrics, that part is not in the song. Meet me in the moonlight alone. While I'm preaching peace and harmony, the blessings of, tranquil- blessings of tranquility, floating like a dream across the floor. I'll take you across the river, dear. You've no need to linger here. Draw the blinds, step outside the door. That was the first time I've ever noticed those lines mm-hmm. uh, on the web. As I was reading them on the website in preparation for this episode, I went, "Wait a minute, he doesn't sing that." And I had to go back and <laughs> and 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 go listen to the song again. And of course, the lines that he swaps out, the floating like a dream across the floor and draw the blinds. He, what he sings on the record is, "Yet I know when the time is right to strike." And then he ends with, "I know the kinds of things." you like so again there's and there's gonna be some other rewrites and we'll, we'll get to those but so nick why did you want to talk about uh, moonlight yeah so this song for me is one of the prime examples of what makes dylan a great artist and someone who who i i would point to this song as one of the top songs for why he deserves the nobel prize in literature in particular, I see this really as one of his great compositions. Um, it's not, it's not well known. Uh, it's certainly, I mean, it's part of the, the catalog that comes later in his career, even though he's, he's, you know, popular and well known at this point. And the album itself was very well received, um, both by critics and the general public. Um, but you know, he's mostly associated with this time in the sixties and whatnot. 
Um, so this is not as well known, but if I, if people were to ask me, okay, what are a few songs that make Dylan somebody who could be Nobel quality? This for me would be one of the ones I would pick. Wow. That's geez. That's very heady praise for this one. I will say, I remember when I got this record, uh, and listened to it on, uh, 9-11, 2001, actually in the middle of the night. Because uh, I got it at midnight the night before. So I was listening to it, staying up late listening to it. This song shocked me because it was so old-timey, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term. And now, of course, we look at it and say, well, he was he was headed down this road and he would have songs like this on every subsequent record uh, and then culminating in the three cover records or the five cover records, depending on uh, how you want to count them. But obviously, uh, you could see that he was sort of, getting into i'm not getting into this kind of music he's always been into this kind of music he's covered songs like this throughout his whole career but i i almost got the sense of listening to moonlight that he when he was working on the record he was like you know what i love these old-timey you know frank sinatra songs and i just want to write one let's see if i can mm-hmm. write one that sounds genuine kind of like what back at the time people said about blown in the wind where there were people who said this sounds like an authentic folk song that's always existed I can't mm-hmm. believe that this song was written by a 21-year-old, you know, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But So that's to me what Moonlight sounds like. Is like Bob is like, I want to see if I can write a song that if you took, off, took my name off it, would fit in on... Like, if you put this song on the other, the cover records, it would blend in, I think, pretty perfectly with lyrical idiosyncrasies mm. uh, that I think are, are a hallmark of Dylan. But I mean, so, so okay, you explain that. Like, why, why, is you, why is this song so strong to you? So there are a bunch of different things. And I think one you pointed to is the kind of implicit uh, reference to this kind of great American songbook where he's, he, I think you have put your finger on something uh, that I hadn't thought of, but that strikes me as uh, very potent uh, about the song is its reference to the great American songbook. And, you know, he won Nobel prize for bringing whatever the justification was bringing new (laughs) wording or phrasing or whatever it was uh, to, to the great American song tradition. And so he is placing himself or drawing on that tradition to help create the song, but he's also drawing on other sorts of traditions and um, uh, literary sources uh, to to compose this and to bring it all together. Um, and so for me, one of the things that is most striking about this is, one, the visuals that come up from it. You see and you feel a sort of intense quality to the atmosphere that he's created with this, um, both in terms of the lyrics. I mean, we get the very Southern feeling of the orchids, poppies, black-eyed Susan, um, that, that he refers to in the lyrics. Um, and, you know, he's love and theft itself is of course, a, uh, a roots rock album that is <laughs> drawing on the South and the kind of Southern Gothic tradition, um, coming out of that, uh, part of the American South. Um, but also, I mean, let's not forget that this is a song and there's all the musical, like the uh, instrumental parts of the composition. And so you get actually even before the lyric starts, they start off with that kind of guitar intro mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that sets the mood and sets the kind of ambiance to it. Um, and so drawing some of those things together, uh, I think, really create something special here. Um, there's more that I could say about that, and I probably will as we go go into it a little bit more. But that, those are a few few things for me. 
I mentioned earlier, uh, or just a moment ago, about the lyrical idiosyncrasies that are that are to me a hallmark of Dylan's work. And I said, you know, a lot of these lyrics are very much in the tradition of the Great American Songbook. They are using very simple rhyme schemes, and they are rhyming words that have been rhymed forty billion times. Uh, except again, you got like in the the second verse where Bob mentions the earth and sky that melts with flesh and bone. Mm-hmm. Like what a grotesque image to put yeah. in such a romantic song, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> melting flesh and bone. Like what? I can't picture Sammy Kahn ever writing a song like that for Frank Sinatra, putting in the line, "Let's melt flesh and bone." <laughs> like, huh? What? Well, the way so the way this is one of the things that I think makes this a really great. Uh, composition in terms of its lyrics is the theme of melding or transformation. Um, So the earth and sky that melts with flesh and bone brings to mind the shadows of being out at night and being in the woods and you kind of have the moonlight coming through the trees um, and the way that as you're walking through the woods, uh, things are kind of obscured and Hmm. blended. Uh, It brings to mind uh, a very, um, Actually, one of the things that I think Bob is kind of, again, implicitly drawing on is, so Bob is known to have uh, quoted or or referred to Ovid's Metamorphoses, um, the ancient Roman poet Ovid. And there is a story in there about two lovers named Pyramus and Thisbe. uh, And this is a story that also was an inspiration for Shakespeare writing Romeo and Juliet. Um, And these two lovers... Uh, they talk to each other through this crack in the wall. Their homes are conjoined by the single wall, uh, kind of like a duplex nowadays. Um, <laughs> but their families won't let them meet or talk. Uh, but there's a crack in the wall that they can speak through. And they agree to meet out in the woods and run away together um, at night. And they're going to meet at night and they're going to go run off. Um, and the story ends as a tragedy. Um, but the... Uh, that's kind of what I think Bob is part of what Bob is drawing on here. That sort of classic image of meeting out in the woods, meeting your lover out in the woods uh, Hmm. and two people coming together. Won't you meet me out in the moonlight alone? Who's alone? Is it, am I alone? Are you coming alone? Or is it, are we going to be alone together? Um, Again, the sort of melding um, that you see that runs throughout the lyrics, a turning, a changing, um, and coming together or uh, also departing the seasons they are turning and my sad heart is yearning to hear again the songbird's sweet melodious tone uh, mm. things are changing things are in flux i've mentioned in other episodes i'm always impressed with bob's uh, linguistic skills that he can mm. put words into songs that i find are just hard to say in in regular conversation and let alone trying to sing them and melodious is one of those, you know, mm-hmm. kind of big vocabulary words, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, over on uh, Modern Times where he sings on Working Man's, you know, uh, Lumpen Proletariat, you know. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so the, the song continues on. The clouds are turning crimson. The leaves fall from the limbs and the branches cast their shadows over stone. Meet me in the moonlight alone. The boulevards of cypress trees, the masquerades of birds and bees, the petals pink and white. The wind is blown. Meet me in the moonlight alone. And then in the penultimate verse, we have some more lyrical changes. He's got the trailing moss and mystic glow, purple blossoms, soft as snow. Now, on the, in the, the version on the record, he says, my tears keep falling to the sea. And he talks the line of it, uh, Dr. Lawyer, Indian chief. It takes a thief to catch a thief. And Dr. Lawyer, Indian chief is a song from the 40s. Mm. But, he, but on the BobDillon.com, he's changed it to step up and drop the coin right into the slot. 
The fading light of sunset glowed. It's crowded on the narrow road. Who cares whether you forgive me or not? That was a real head turner of like that. Okay. Like there's yeah, totally, there's a very different change than, than what is kind of going on in the song to this. But what do you make of that? Yeah. So when I listen to the lyrics that he sings, one of the things that strikes me about this section, let's call it a bridge and the bridge before is the change in the rhyme schemes um, that are the rhyme schemes in the, let's call them verses uh, are very smooth. They're kind of legato when he pronounces it. So tone alone, they kind of are, are elongated. Um, but in these, he gets the very, I know when the time is right to strike again, <laughs> it's very hard. Um, and I know the kinds of things you like, um, and I don't have the lyrics up in front of me from bobdellen.com, but it would be interesting to me if he kind of makes this, uh, if they continue that sort of hard rhyme at the end uh, or not. And that kind of goes with um, the style of playing that the musicians are playing. It goes from a very kind of ballad, legato sort of thing to a more accented uh, strumming of the guitar and the drum uh, the drum performance. So uh, if you could read those again, actually, that might be interesting. All right. So it's, yeah, it's the trailing moss and mystic glow, purple blossom, soft as snow. Again, that's from the, 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 the virgin on the record. And mm-hmm. then the change is step up and drop the coin right into the slot, which again, just a fun phrase to say the way he does it. Mm-hmm. Step up and drop the coin right into the slot. The fading light of sunset glowed. It's crowded on the narrow road. Who cares whether you forgive me or not? Hmm. So it's still got that hard ending with the T. The T sound, And in terms of the theme, it's take a chance, drop the coin into the slot. You don't know what's going to happen. Who cares if you forgive me or not? Um, It's a sort of, uh, there's an openness to the future. It's not clear what's going to happen. There's no certainty associated with it, which is interesting. Um, And doesn't, doesn't really come out because that seems like oh from the person whom he's addressing um the lover uh who he's asking to meet in the moonlight it's kind of their perspective of like uh are you going to take the chance with me yes or no and then with the final line i can deal with it one way or not one way or another Mm -hmm. whether or not you do meet with me but uh it's up to you at this point whether or not you're going to Give it a shot. Even on his sweetest uh, romantic songs, like 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 when you first hear this one, this one feels like one of those types of songs. To me, there's always this overhang of menace mm-hmm. to at least some of the lines. And that line about the 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 I know when the time is right to strike. Uh, lawyer, doctor, lawyer, any chief. It takes a thief to catch a thief. I know the kind of things you like. Now, depending on your point of view, that could sound like someone is doing something for someone that they know they like, which is an entirely nice thing. Mm-hmm. But the t- I know when the time is right to strike has a slight, you know, aggressive edge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like the previous record um, of Time Out of Mind, where the Make You Feel My Love song, every single time I've heard that song covered, it is sung straight ahead like it is a just a straight up love song. Mm-hmm. To me, mm-hmm. uh, that, that phrase in there, make you feel my love, has a slight dark tone to it. Because why mm-hmm. do you need to make someone feel love for you either they do or they don't and making them is kind of a little bit threatening uh depending on your point of view and no i haven't heard anybody really interpret it that way when they've covered it and so this has got that too this song sounds so sweet and his vocal is is wonderful yeah and you can almost hear the delight he's in his voice when he's singing this he sounds like he's really 
having fun. And again, this reminds me a little of um, when he first came on the scene and he was becoming so famous for these incredible, uh, you know, word, this credible wordplay that he was doing. He kind of made fun of the simplistic songs that he and his other cohorts, like the Beatles and the Stones were sort of replacing. And remember, I remember one of the, one of the rhymes that he, uh, it might not have been him. It might've been John Hammond, his producer that straight up mock where he said, well, we're getting rid of the whole moon and spoon kind of stuff. <laughs> and then of mm-hmm. course, what does Bob use in I'll be your baby tonight on John Wesley Harding? He literally rhymes moon with spoon mm-hmm. in that song. And there, and then that's another thing where he is previewing the kind of songs he's going to be working on in the next record at the end of the previous record, because that's mm-hmm. a straight up country song. And of course the very next record is all country songs. So that's kind of what he's doing here where he is using these very, very hoary cliches to work in this garden, uh, if I may borrow the phrase, that he's going to really get into later on. Something else, too, about I Bob loves the imagery of of getting someone, like luring someone out of yeah. where they are. Now, whether it's either metaphorical or literal, but he likes that. I mean, can you please crawl out your window? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. In that case, it's literal. But I think about when I when I read the lyrics to this and talking about this person is talking to the, the, the person singing is talking to whoever they're talking to and they're trying to get them to come out into the moonlight. It reminds me a lot of lines in False Prophet where he talks about let's walk in the garden so far mm-hmm. and so wide. We can sit in the shade by the fountain side. These sound like the same people to me that are <laughs> doing this where it's it's somebody trying to lure someone out to like. No, 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 come on, let's go to this romantic spot. And it's almost like, I know when the time is right to strike kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think Bob is putting his finger on the sometimes subtle uh, aggression that comes with simply interacting with other people. There's uh, the asserting yourself um, can be taken both threateningly or um, it can have threatening tones to it, but it can also be... um, you know, kind of a softer engagement. Let's go for a walk um, and drawing people out um, doesn't necessarily need to be sinister, but there is a sort of aggression that has to come with going out of your way to interact with people in the first place. And I mean, he does the kind of beat you over the head with this as well in like a Rolling Stone, for example, when he's chastising um, uh, what's her name, uh, the character, whoever, whoever he is for yeah. um, he wants to, to, uh, browbeat them for being so proud and, right. and get them to change. And this is, this is about, again, the sort of uh, changing people and shifting and melding and um, getting things into flux that I think you um, you're drawing attention to here, where it's getting them to change and come out from whatever kind of stable position that they're in. Right. Uh, he wraps up the song with my pulses running through my palm. The sharp hills are rising from the yellow fields with twisted oaks that groan. Uh, oh, you won't you meet me in the moonlight alone? And wh- one other thing that I, I thought about in this song, um, and this is this this comes from an interview I read with Bob, where he, you know obviously he doesn't do that many interviews, and he generally doesn't talk about his previous records a whole lot, at least on mm-hmm. a direct sense. But one of the few comments he did make around the time that he was promoting Love and Theft, uh, although I think he just did the one interview because, of course, again, this record came out on on 9-11. Nobody was interested in promoting anything at that point. But I remember there was an interview where he said that one of his dissatisfactions with Time Out of Mind was that he felt the song sounded a little too same-samey. Mm-hmm. And he wanted them to have much more of a fast, go, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, you know, kind of change up. 
And I think in, in a somewhat more prosaic way, I think Bob just realized, well, I want to have kind of a sweet, slow ballad in the middle of two fast songs. Mm-hmm. Because this song falls between High Water and Honest With Me. Mm-hmm. And Love and Theft is very much is very much that record where it's kind of a fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow kind of thing. And I almost think that, you know, as he's putting the record together in his head, he's coming up with lyrics and he's coming up with, you know, tunes. He's like, oh, okay, this would be a nice, calm cool drink of water to put in, be- in between high water and then the super fast honest with me. So almost like on some level, he's just putting this in there like, okay, you know, maybe this isn't, um, the, he's, the, this song is not something that's going to like run for the ages where it's going to be something he plays in concert forever. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but it fits on the record for the purpose he needs it to, to perform. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, placing the song within the context of the record, I think is super important. Um, and I think you're right that this is a way for him to get something a little lighter, a little smoother in there between those really rocking, really rocking pieces. Uh, one thing I do want to note, uh, is that there's also seems to be a kind of a countdown in here. So if you look at the, the structure of the song, there's the three verses, um, he asks three times, won't you meet me in the moonlight alone? There's a bridge. And then he does that again. The won't you meet me in the moonlight alone twice and then another bridge and then the one to wrap it up won't you meet me in the moonlight alone so there's a kind of countdown hmm. to the end of the song and perhaps getting back into that rockin rockin atmosphere of honest with me oh i didn't even notice that oh interesting okay uh i mentioned uh, the live performances he's done this 101 times which you know not a whole lot uh but more than i would have expected Mm-hmm, uh, this mm-hmm. is not something I would picture that he would have done live. He it had a very short window. Uh, he started performing it in October of 2001 and stopped in 2008. So we're talking 12 years since he's done it. So, uh, but again, that's still a little more than I would have expected. There's other Love and Theft songs that have been played a lot less than that. Uh, and this is, you know, kind of a nice quiet song. So yeah, it's something that he obviously had, felt had a little bit of a life as a live performance. And then, you know, at some point as we, as we all try and figure out his thought processes, he, he put it away and uh, for at least for the longest, for a long while, it's been put away, you know, permanently, as permanently as anything gets when you're talking about Bob Dylan concerts. Totally. So, so, I mean, have you gone back, like when you go back and listen to Love and Theft or do you, let me ask you, how you go back and listen to, do you listen to whole records of Bob's or do you make like playlists? I mean, how often of, of all the songs in Love and Theft, how much is, how much are you listening to Moonlight? separately from the rest or is it always just within the context of this whole record so i will listen to this song on its own uh but i'm usually more of an album guy and just run Mm -hmm. it through uh i do think i mean this is part of placing the placing the song within the album which you which you we talked about already um i think that looking at the album as a whole and as its own work of art that all the different songs kind of compose and bring uh, compose uh and bring together and bring out the theme and the feel of it um and i think that this song on its stands on its own as, as i said i would pick it out as one that is exceptional for its lyrical quality and for its for its composition and for its uh, artistic merit. Um, but I think you need to make sure to fit it within, within the broader album. Uh, yeah. I do listen to a few, a few um, playlists. Um, there's been one that was put together, Bob Dylan and the blues or something like that for the Bob Dylan center. Um, 
but uh, mostly it's it's albums that I'm going back to. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it it initially was not one of my favorites, but it's the kind of thing where I've grown to really enjoy it again in the context of the record and knowing what's coming, mm-hmm. knowing that he's playing in this field. You're like, okay, this is his mind was on this kind of material. And once again, like the band is, you know, um, I was about to say effortless, but that's not the right word. It's not effortless at all. It's they are so smooth at being able to handle all these different kinds of tones. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're they're professional musicians. Of course they are. They, they should be. They're the best in the business. You know, you, get, you don't get to play with Bob Dylan if you're a scrub. But nevertheless, it's just how many, how different all the songs sound on Love and Theft and that the band acquits themselves so beautifully on all these different, I mean, good Lord, you've got Floater, just a couple of songs before this, which sounds completely mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. than anything else. It's just, it's amazing that they can handle using all the same instruments, essentially. It's not like they're all of a sudden changing and using different things. And they can get, achieve the sound that he's clearly looking for. Because like I said, if I'm not familiar with any covers of this song to this point, but if I had heard some torch singer sing this song and said, oh, this is something from 1945's, you know, this is by Glenn Miller, from 1945 outside of the melting flesh and bones line i would i would totally believe it yeah yeah i mean this song is classic americana um in in a very broad sense i think it, it's definitely drawing on that sort of that american songbook to to give it that sort of heft of and the the band is doing a great job of of pulling that out and and putting it together with the song. I also learned something. I never knew what a black eyed Susan was. I never yeah. knew what that was. I had to look yeah. it up and Oh, it's a flower. Okay. <laughs> now I know a little bit smarter than, uh, than when I went into the song with. So uh, thank you once again, Bob. So uh, I guess that, that's, is there anything else you want to say about Moonlight before we wrap up? You know, the song is, I think a classic uh, personally. I, I think Bob also recognized this whole album as particularly important um, I think in like Sean Wiltz's um, Bob Dylan in America, uh, he's got a quote from Bob saying like, this is a, this is an album of classics or future classics or something like that. <laughs> and and uh, I think time has, has proven that right. Um, the reception, the immediate reception, and then just the longevity of the whole album. And so I really want to invite folks to to give this song in particular, another listen uh, and, and see how it holds up against some of his other great lyrical composition. Bob can brag in a way that would put rappers to shame. He really mm-hmm. is. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I, I somehow, I must've read that. I know I've read that, but I must've just forgotten that quote. That's marvelous. That's just, Bob's just like, yeah, yeah. These are all classics. Yeah. Written by me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Well, awesome. Well, again, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I always said, it. I love hearing from, from Bob fans and I, I really appreciate being able to talk to them on the show. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me on and thanks for all the work that you do with the podcast. It's really fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. So of course, everybody, if you want to follow uh, the show, all the back episodes are on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And you can also support the fine water podcast network. Go to patreon.com slash FW podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel, and Sebastian Krug for their support of pod Dylan. Really appreciate it fellas. And uh, one last thing before I sign off, 
Uh, we have episode 150 around the corner. Pod Dylan number 100. I can't believe it. Pod Dylan number 150. And as I mentioned over on uh, Pod underscore Dylan at Twitter, uh, my guest will be Laura Tenchert from the Definitely Dylan podcast. Uh, I know she objects to this classification, but I call her the queen of the Bobcats, and I'm sticking by that. So she's going to be my guest. But instead of doing a song, we are going to be taking questions. We're going to be taking questions from you, the listeners. I don't really get to do feedback shows. I don't know why I say get to do it like someone's deciding it for me. I don't do feedback shows a whole lot or very much at all. And uh, that's that's bad on me because I like the feedback. I love getting feedback and I should do more of it. So Laura and I thought it'd be fun to just take questions. So if you want to submit questions that could be read on the air for me and or Laura to answer on episode 150, you can go to firewaterpodcast.com and go to the contact us link and you'll see the field there and you can just send us an email with your question or you can respond to the pinned tweet over at uh, pod Dylan over on Twitter and you can post the question there and I, we will do our best to have it be included in the show and it can be about anything. It can be about Bob. It can be about podcasting, advice for the lovelorn, whatever you need. Uh, probably not uh, money tips because I have no I have no advice to give anybody about that. But anything you want to find out from me and Laura, you can go ahead and ask it. We're really looking forward to it. The deadline uh, for that, uh, for the questions will be December 23rd. So please get all your questions in before then. It ought to be a uh, really fun episode. I love talking to Laura. So it, uh, it ought to be a real blast. So get your questions in through firewaterpodcast.com or over on Twitter. So that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye. They are turning and my sad heart is yearning To hear again the songbird's sweet melodious tone 